I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. And on the show tonight, what's going on in the art scene up in Ogden? Did you see the King's Mouth last summer? It was the art installation by Wayne Coyne. That's right, y'all. Lead singer of the Flaming Lips. The band was also back in Ogden for Ogden Twilight. So what's in the water up there and what's next for Ogden Contemporary Arts? Coming up, we have Vanessa Castagnoli, Executive Director of Ogden Contemporary Arts, and all the way from the NYC borough of the Bronx, painter, installation artist, muralist, social practice artist, and educator, Yala Ford, OCA's first artist in residence, and does she have plans for us, folks? Plus, we'll check in on the people's business with Deb Case of the League of Women Voters of Utah. They're helping us keep an eye on the lawmakers who are in the last two weeks of their general session up on the Capitol Hill. To get started, a very cool event for Black History Month. Maybe you saw the article in the Salt Lake Tribune about the Cocktail Collective, a culinary school for spirits and cocktails. The mastermind behind that project is my first guest tonight, Alexi Fisher of The Hammered Copper, an eco-friendly mobile bar service. She's mixing drinks and Black History this month. To find out more, let's get her on the mic. What's going on, Alexi? How are you? Hey, what's good? I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. You know, I, I I got a chance to read the article and obviously do some do some digging. And and your journey to this space has been interesting to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's a really lovely way to put it. <laughs> well, I mean, so so let's. I mean, last week we 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 had some men on talking about the you know mental health and you know a couple a couple black panelists who we you know we say in the black community. We don't really address mental health the, the way it should be. And I, I come from a religious background. So my folks are always like, leave it at the altar. God will take care of it, which is nice in theory. But I mean, but in practice, it doesn't always give you what you need. So how how are you now that you have ex- you have left the, the world of neuroscience and psychology and you're now doing what you love, I would assume? How are you? Um, so to even add on top of that, I left, I left my last corporate job in January, my corporate job that was essentially like supplementing my income. So I could just put all the money that my businesses were making back into my business to help them grow. I left that. So I'm 100% working on these businesses. And I, I mean, I don't know if you can't you can't see my face, but you can know that like you can hear from my voice that this is probably the happiest I've ever been. I'm tired. <laughs> Let me add on that. I'm tired, <laughs> but I am I'm doing what I love and I didn't think that I would get this much emotional reward from it. And I I'm inexplicably happy. I mean, arguably you are you are living the real American dream because we have this fabricated version of the American dream. And that was the previous life, you know, a a life that many of us are still in, I would argue, you know, like wake up, hit the ground running, you know, first meeting starts at this time, you know, meetings back to back, even crazier in Zoom because we don't have the sync ups around the building anymore. But but I would say the American dream is doing what you love you know, separating yourself and doing what you love, putting your blinders on and really being able to watch it grow and and nurture it and water it. Absolutely. And 
it's the whole the whole like saying of like you pull yourself by your bootstraps you know you you have the american dream i that's a load of bs and as to follow that it's like you'll if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life i mean i honestly think if you do what you love you're going to work three times harder if not five times harder mm-hmm. and especially if you are a black woman like i am i mean you're going to work a million times harder just to prove your prove yourself and so the fact that i have this opportunity to do what i love and have people who find me organically or find me, you know, through the the opportunities I've had to be able to share about it. I mean, it's huge. I, I'm incredibly grateful because to me, that shows that people genuinely want to learn about what we're offering. All right. Perfect segue, because let is, let's talk about what, what we could learn. So I know I, I was reading an article and it says, you got the history of drinking podcast. Yeah. I mean, so. And then, and then it just, as if that wasn't enough, because we all, I mean, you know, as we drink at the bar, you're like, I wonder where this came from, you know, but then you're compounding that with, you know, a Black History Month education on it. So where did that spawn from? So I, I've always been deeply interested in just understanding more about my my ancestors my history unfortunately there's not a lot of information i can ever find out because i am you know i, I didn't immigrate to this country <laughs> my, my ancestors did not immigrate to this country so it is hard to dig deep but as i got more you know deeper into the cocktail world and the mixology world um i had the opportunity really to learn more about where these where these cocktails i was making came from where they originated or where essentially the templates originated and as i got deeper and deeper you realize that a lot of these cocktails are giving credit to white men <laughs> and they're giving credit to white men in essentially erasing their their true lineage and the true lineage is so beautiful when you understand a, like for example the mint julep i mean john dabney wasn't exactly the one who invented it but at the same time he's the one who perfected it and he is the father of the mint julep and he was a slave for 41 years of his life and didn't really receive the true credit that he fully deserved. It, it It's so, I mean, here's the thing. It's wild, but not surprising. You know, yeah. I, I found myself, you know, even, even reading your article, kind of going down that rabbit hole and not to get off topic, but I was reading, you know, the, the inventor of mac and cheese yeah. was, was a black person that, you know, and then come to find out like Thomas Jefferson. Yes. Listeners, the Thomas Jefferson you know, took it and made it kind of like, oh, this was something I created and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So this is not new when you start following the threads of black people and and what we have helped to bring along America along the journey with. Absolutely. Like, I mean, rec- recently, I think it came out uh, Levi jeans, like blue jeans. That 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 indigo dye was a cultural uh, process in Africa, and when you know slaves brought it here because we were here, they brought it here. Levi Strauss was by no means the originator of the of the gene. Um, it was essentially known as slave pants. Like it was it was known as it was known as trash pants. It was not a like a thing that you would see uh, white men and women wearing. And so it's. I love the fact that we have the space and we have so many uh, black uh, men and women that are coming forward and sharing this information and this historical knowledge 
what I makes me sad is the fact that like this is the only month we really like get the like the spotlight where people are like, oh my gosh, what do you have to say? We don't disappear during the rest of the year. We don't go into hibernation. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good nap, but I'm here, <laughs> you know, the rest of the year. And so um, I it's it's not I, I'm not just going to be doing this for the month of February. I'm going to try and do this every single month because every single month has a celebratory cocktail. And I try and do a deep dive history into that. And so as we get deeper into like the like the Paloma or the Margarita or um Oh my gosh, the old fashioned in the Manhattan, like all those cocktails. Yeah. I was see. I, oh, you get it. I, I was a bartender. So a lot of people back home, they knew. So similar story. I, when I started my undergrad, like as I got closer, like financial aid things like became problematic. I, you know, missed dates, but that's neither here nor there. But I, I got to, I started asking myself, well, I'm making X amount of money as a bartender. And, and then I would be making less money as a teacher. So it, it really pulled me away, but I, you know, I, but this isn't about me. This is about you. So if, for, for people who are getting ready to, you're interested in the classes, what could they expect? What are they going to walk away with? What are they learning? So I held my last, my, my first in-person class, uh, the, the 19th and the, basically the introduction I gave to the class is, you know, welcome. This is a, a moment to learn about black history. I can guarantee that you are going to come away learning something, but I also can guarantee you're going to get uncomfortable. Um, because I'm a firm believer that when we are uncomfortable, we learn. And that is my whole goal. I want to share this information. I'm not here to proselytize and be like, Hey, black or white, white people did this wrong. It's not the, about that. It is more of just an education of like, Hey, this is where this really came from. And, giving the opportunity, giving the space for appreciation. Um, we not only do a, um, a deep dive on the cocktail itself, so where exactly the cocktail originated, um, how it gained popularity, um, and all the aspects that go within it, um, but also we do a hands-on lesson of making the cocktail so you understand we're, we're going original. We're trying to really go original in how we're making this cocktail, and then uh, we end off with uh, really doing a deep dive on the bartender who created it. Um, and the hard part is sometimes this portion is rather short because I mean we're talking about 17 and 1800s there's not a lot of history kept on these uh men and it's it's incredibly unfortunate um and when we're able to find information like we we dive deep I was able to recently um do a deep dive on uh Louis Steele who I mean, other than just knowing that the fact that he pretty much before and after his employment for the Atlas Hotel disappeared, um, it, I mean, there's two existing articles for the Cincinnati Acquirer, and I was able to find them uh, via the Cincinnati Library. And when they sent them to me, I immediately broke down. They were just they were beautiful, and it was just a piece of history. And unfortunately, we don't know what happened to him. Um, so the fact that I get to talk about things like this and how how important it is just to remember, <clears throat> you know, it's we have we have we have a beautiful history that is constantly just kind of pushed aside for someone who can garner more fame and popularity. And this is a moment to be like, no, mm -mm, we're going to take a moment and just really spotlight this person who really deserves it. I love that. Talk, like just staying on a topic and really unpacking and get and learning as much as we can. All right, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask, what is your favorite cocktail to make and why? I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I hate this question. <laughs> I know you do, but I, I listen to it, I'm like, what is the bartender drinking? Because I think in the article you talked about it, like, 
you know, people go up to a bar and don't know what they want. And especially as we as we move into the world of mixologists and it's no longer like I want a cosmopolitan like that was that was yesteryear. Now it's like I need something fancy and listeners. It might be a little bougie, but it's, it's like people need people want more than just a normal drinks these days. Absolutely. And when you understand that bougie drinks are just regular drinks with nice garnish and maybe like an extra like shake, it's it really kind of makes it like more accessible. Um, I have to say my favorite cocktail, and I'm not just doing this to appease my Italian side of the family that I married into. I absolutely love a gimlet. And I mean, it is it is beautiful. It is delicious. I, I'm a huge fan of gin. Um, Glenn Morangi came out with a, a single malt for mixing. That's what they're, they're calling it. And if you can get your hands on a bottle, it is amazing. But I recently just uh, made a gimlet uh, with that. So it's basically a scotch gimlet and I'm losing my mind how tasty it is because I love scotch. <laughs> <laughs> that is like that is the one pedestal I'm gonna get on. And I'm like, I'm going to teach you some things. <laughs> oh, my wife would love you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come to a class. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Alexi. Thank you. I appreciate you spending time with us. And and folks, check the show notes to get signed up for a cocktail collective sip and learns for Black History Month. What this Thursday and Friday? Yeah, when are the classes? So the Thursday class is virtual uh, and it is, yeah, so Thursday is going to be talking about Louis Steele. Uh, Friday is going to be our last in-person class and uh, that is going to be on Tom Bullock and Bertie Girth, who is the first, uh, well, as we know, the most, uh, sorry, the first uh, um, a female bootlegger. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so. Get it. All right, and where can uh, socials, where can people, people find you? So you can find me personally at melanated.mixologist on Instagram. And I mean, I'm pretty much anywhere on Facebook, Alexi Fisher. Um, and then, and then of course, for my, my beautiful businesses, uh, the Cocktail Collective is uh, for Instagram, cocktail.collective, and then hammered.copper. Um, and you can find those all on Instagram. And yeah, I post there more than anything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Folks, check the show notes to get signed up for the Cocktail Collective Sip and Learn for Black History Month. Classes will be Thursday and Friday this week. Now let's move into the people's business with the League of Women Voters of Utah. They're a nonprofit and nonpartisan political organization that encourages the informed and active participation of citizens in the government. They've been Radioactive's partner in keeping an eye on lawmakers during the general session. Deborah Case, co-director of the League's Legislative Action Committee. Welcome back to Radioactive, Deb. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So what day are we at now? Because I know time, time works a little differently up on the hill. Well, I'm excited because it's 2-22-22 today, so that's exciting. Oh, but yeah. Now, we are in week six of seven, so we are almost through with this. We It's day 35 out of our total of 45, so we are going along. Um, we have some interesting bills coming up here in these last two weeks, as always, and we have passed 155 bills so far and counting on more to come. So look out for those bills that have been waiting silently in the wings to start coming out and moving quickly. This is a time where bills start to slide past us without much notice. So be on guard and be vigilant. <laughs> All right. That, yeah, see, that's what I was worried about. When you get to the end, that's when things get a little slippery, a little too fast, too furious, if you will. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a marathon, you know, and then I'm getting ready for the sprint here at the end. <laughs> so, so, so what are we focusing on this week? All right. Today we've got several bills to go to. So today I'm going to go directly to HB 312 by Representative Rex Ship. This is a tricky little bill that wants to sneak past us, but it's a little too dangerous to ignore. This bill is a lending bill. It would require that all public entities be prohibited from using a financial services company if that company has a policy of refusing to service fossil fuel companies. So many cities and, and uh, counties have committed to phasing out the use of fossil fuel energy by adopting clean energy goals. By restricting a public entity's choices, this bill would force public entities to indirectly support fossil fuel industries. It could also give them an unfair advantage in pricing to fossil fuel supporting companies by requiring public entities to use them, even if they're not cheaper or competitively priced. All right. So, I, you know, there's some the, the Jersey boy in me has some choice <laughs> words I'm thinking of right now. But like, is it our like in what world does it make sense that they get to dictate who these groups use? Because I feel I. OK, it feels like it, I don't want to say that one company has their hands in another company's pockets or whatsoever. <laughs> but when we have lawmakers that are trying to tell tell people who they can and cannot use, it feels like there's some ulterior motives, if you will. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's on the up and up. It does not. It just doesn't seem quite right. I, I, I'm glad it reads the same with you. <laughs> Uh, that's why we're talking about it. And so next we've got a voter integrity bill. This is bill HB 387 by Representative Mark Strong. Now, this, this is an 18-page bill that asserts that amongst other things, a mail-in ballot must be postmarked no later than the Friday before election day. That doesn't seem too much, but voting is an integral part of our fundamental citizen rights, and that must be guaranteed. This bill actually increases voter confusion about vote by mail and will probably result in the disqualification of otherwise legitimately cast votes. Or even worse, it could make people feel disenfranchised and fail to even, even vote be, due to confusion. I mean, as a majority red state, it, it's weird to me that all, a lot of our Republican leaders are, are casting a doubt on voter mail-in when a lot of these people have been elected by mail-in votes. So it's almost like <laughs> you're, it, it, I just don't get it. It, it. And 18 pages is just seems obnoxious. I'm just throwing that out there because I have no understanding of the legal, a lot of the legal processes anyway. And then you throw an 18 page ballot out there. Like it's just ridiculous. Voting should be easy. The decision about who to vote for is, should be your only issue, right? Voting yes. for shouldn't be difficult. <laughs> Folks, it's time to start picking up the horn. We're getting we're getting close to the finish line. Call your lawmakers and weigh in because some of this stuff it's it's about it's about as clear as muddy water. All right. And lastly, I wanted to address a group of justice reinvestment initiative bills. That's a hard one for me to say. But uh, yes, a conglomeration of bills. This is SB 179. SB 150 and HB 403. These bills are working together to reduce recidivism and increase the effectiveness of the judicial and prison system without relying solely on prison time. So right now, 
about 95% of inmates return to society, but we're still at a 70 to 80% that will return to prison. Now, that's not the best rate. So some serious efforts to improve this system began with the prison reform efforts back in like 2015, but it's been a learning process. Every year we're having new bills to reform, improve and streamline these, these processes and hopefully better serve the defendants and prisoners in the long run and keep or return them into society successfully. So some of these goals have been achieved, but they seem to be struggling in two major areas, funding and lack of data to base decisions on. So right now we have these three bills working together to address these issues by first appropriating the funds and second, setting up a data delivery system that would build conduits to move information from the arrest to the courts and prison officials who make the decisions about the individual offenders. Okay. Uh, I, so here's the thing. In my mind, I'm like, there's a there's a way to to make sure that we are really looking out for the best interests of inmates after they get out of prison. And I think maybe it starts with education while they're in prison. Maybe it starts with access to GEDs, access to college credits. And maybe it starts with when they get out of prison and they serve their proper time, they are no longer like prisoners. I mean, if you get out and you can't vote anymore, have you like what's the point then? So we're saying like you, hey, we respect you. You served your time. But guess what? We're going to still treat you like you were a prisoner. And and on top of that, most companies aren't going to hire you because you're a felon. And so where, where else are you going? So like while it feels like and I'm finger quoting people because you all can't see me, you can only hear me. I'm finger quoting because it feels like this is doing something to take care of people. But it, it, it feels like it's missing the mark a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Trying, with these three bills, they're trying to get the funding and the information to get the best and most appropriate options for their situation and back on track. But yeah. one of the things that they're doing with the data, actually, is to try and figure out what is actually wrong. What, like, what, what did they do? Yeah. What, what is their offense? Instead of just sending them, hey, let's go to prison for this. Hey, you know what? If it's a drug offense, hey, let's get them some rehabilitation. Okay. If it's sex offense, hey, let's do this. So they're trying to get the data and kind of track that so that they're going to the right places okay. and not just saying, hey, let's throw throw you all to, into jail and then just release you and think that we're going to have a better outcome. Because obviously that hasn't been working. No, no, and it, it, it's it's interesting when you hear other countries talk about the United States and our prison systems. It's it's embarrassing. So I do like that. I like the fact that they're making attempts, I guess. I don't know. I just want more. I want, I want more. Deb. Am I being greedy? I feel like I might be being a little greedy. No, you are not. And I'm going to bring up that other bill that we've that's out there right now, which I think is absolutely amazing. I think it's I think it's Representative Ballard, but I might be wrong on that one. Um, and that is for women um, and trying to get more education for them, because, as we know, uh, the guys tend to have a lot more options for education when they're incarcerated and the women don't. So when women come out, they do not have the same options to join society fully and feel like a real part of it. So that one's out there and I'm very excited about that. So even in the prison systems, women are second class is what I'm hearing. What is going on here? Like it should be across the board. Like if, if we're providing on one side of the fence, I guess, you know, why wouldn't we give the same opportunities to our female inmates? That's what you that's what you would think. But you know what? That's why we have a vote and that's why we have a voice and we can say something to our representatives and say, hey, we want this change. And so, you know, pick up the phones, you know, 
get on your computer, send an email, tell them what you support. Because these things, yeah, they should be this way, right? But, you know, they, they are that way. So make a change, right? I, I love it. I, I I mean, that's where it is. I mean, people, if you're listening and these things are resonating, it's time to it's time to reach out to your elected officials and let them know what what you like, what you don't like. If they don't hear from you, they just assume they're doing everything right. And and I don't know if they are. Definitely. So, well, I appreciate you. It's always nice to have you up on the show. So what else? Where, where can folks catch up with you? Well, you can always catch up with us on Thursdays. We do an in-person meeting at the Capitol in room 105. Thursdays, that starts at 1230, goes till about 230. And you can also catch us on Zoom. Same meeting, same time, in person or online. And you can go to uh, LWV, League of Women's Voters, LWVUtah.org, and uh, go over to our calendar. Go down to Thursday and you'll see that link right there and you can go right into our Zoom so you don't even have to go to the Capitol. Appreciate you, Deb. Appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rashawn Leak. And when we come back, we're going to art class in O-Town. This is Ride or Die, Duran Jones and the Indications on KRCL. There's something very special about record albums. The way you hold them in your hands and you read the liner notes and the way you gently pull the record out of its sleeve and check the label and the grooves. It's like a treasure. I know. I get it. The annual KRCL CD and record sale is coming up. And your records can be a treasure for the next music lover. Someone else can feel that same joy of music discovery. And it will help your community radio station. You can email Eric Nelson. It's ericn at krcl.org. There's nothing like good music. And with your help, we can continue KRCL's mission of music discovery. See if your employer will match your recent donation to KRCL and double down on your support. Make a gift, pick out a t-shirt, and see if your employer matches contributions at krcl.org. Welcome back to Radioactive and Roundtable Tuesdays. I'm Rashawn Leak. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now!, Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8. Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 10.30. Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m. All of our programming in the radioactive archives may be found online at krcl.org. Now let's get to our Roundtable Tuesday discussion. I want to talk about the arts in Ogden, specifically through Ogden Contemporary Arts. Last summer, they hosted Flaming Lips frontman Wayne Coyne and his art installation, The King's Mouth. There was a monumental tree-like head in a glistening chrome with an open mouth and extended tongue that beckoned visitors inside for an all-encompassing sensory experience. Plus, the band was back for another Ogden Twilight gig. So what's up with OCA and what do they have planned this summer? Let's pass the microphone to my next guest to find out more. Vanessa Castagnoli, Executive Director of Ogden Contemporary Arts, and all the way from the NYC borough of the Boogie Down Bronx, y'all, Yala Ford, OCA's first artist in residence. And does she have plans for us? So what's going on, ladies? How are y'all doing? Oh, man, there's lots going on. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, so so Ogden, I mean, I'm just gonna, like, I'm sorry, Salt Lake. I'm going to put it out there. Ogden seems like the place to be right now. So what what is up? Yeah, I, I love that you said that. I love Salt Lake, don't get me wrong, but uh, Ogden is a force to be reckoned with. And uh, there's a lot happening and I'm Ogden Contemporary Arts is just so excited to be part of the change and the momentum going on up here. <laughs> so tell us about the journey that you've been on with the OCA. 
Yeah, sure. So um, I came on in March of 2020 and uh, as the executive director here. And at that time, we were called Ogden First. Uh, we needed a rebrand because Ogden First really doesn't sound like an art organization, right? So we did a rebrand um, to Ogden Contemporary Arts and we built ourselves and funded an art center. Thank you, Donkey Foundation. Um, <laughs> and big shout out to them. Uh, and, you know, we've just been, we've been going. We, we have a lot of community support. Our mission is basically to create and share globally influenced, diverse and technologically advanced uh, art programming. And through that, it's really important for us to bring in artists that are really excited to engage with our community. We don't want people just to come in and, and throw up some art and then leave and not be part of Ogden because Ogden's a special place. True story. So I want to bring I want to bring y'all into the conversation. What what is going on? So are are you, I mean, I know you're from the East Coast, but uh so so how did you hook up with the OCA? So I got lucky enough to uh, be contacted by Vanessa and she's such a forward thinker and open to the artwork that I've been creating, not just in galleries, but with the community. And I am just so excited to come and share some of that work in Utah. And, you know, I think my work is strongly rooted in the community. So it's really nice to be able to kind of get to this next generation through this opportunity. I could not be more delighted to work with, uh, with the whole community of Utah and the hype that I've gotten so far has been incredible. And she is right. It's a force to be reckoned with because um, I've done other programs, but there's something really special and different about not just this program, but the timing. And I think things changing and us being kind of the the, the precipitous of that change. Nice. So, so bring us along on, on the journey that you've been in. How, how did, how'd you get here? Oh my goodness. So uh, I know, I know that's a big, that's a big question, but I, I feel like it needs to be answered because there's so many up and coming artists who kind of get, I don't, I don't want to say like just bow beaten, bow beaten, but it's, it is not easy in the art world and being a, you know, a person of color, it's not easy in that space. No, but you know, I think that my artwork really comes from a very humanistic viewpoint, right? So it's all about this space of interconnectivity and layering these sacred geometry patterns and layering it with what it means to be the best we can in humanity. So I think the authenticity that I bring to the table, I do have a background. I was a lawyer and I did work with the community and I was addressing a lot of the things you were just speaking of. And I think just really being um, uh, very authentic. And I think um, when you are open with the community and um, being, um, I think, very uh not just selfish i think that a lot of times um we get stuck in a space of our own creations and not really our purpose and our drive and why we're doing the the big question of why we're what are we embedding embedding in our legacy and i think that uh that would fast forward my whole kind of path and trajectory and why i landed here and um i think it's uh it's going to be an amazing experience. I hope that that kind of that was kind of pressing the fast forward button. But I think that from my heart, I get to um, wake up every day and figure out how my artwork can change someone's life. That's 
that's a big undertaking. And and I really, I mean, I like, I like what you said about the, the linearness of your art. And I, I just made up a word, so forgive me, but, but when we talk about linear mathematics and art, it's not something that you always hear, like, you know, mesh together. So, so, so what is it about that that really draws into your art? Because I looked, I, I've been on a rabbit hole. I've been going down a rabbit hole of your work to, when uh, since I got this this assignment, and it's it's beautiful. It, it's it, it's capturing, and you know, and I I think it speaks to us as people. Where you know, you have, and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil alert, give all your stuff away, but but a lot of it is just you know, you see the lines and how they're intersected and they're constantly connected. And I think it speaks to us as people. You know, and I don't I mean, I don't want to tell people what your art stands for. You know, that's just how it hit me. But I, but I think it's 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 huge, especially as we look out of our landscapes in today's time, like how, you know, your neighbor is so important because, you know, we all depend on one another's people. So thank you. First off, I'm always deeply humbled um, when people are hit or moved or um, in a space of appreciation of my artwork, because I think it's truly a blessing to be able to create. Um, to answer your question, I think that it all boils down to my foundation. So my dad, um, we're first generation Americans as Jamaican, born in the Bronx. And I'll tell you what, my dad's an engineer and my mom is a teacher. So they pushed me in the direction of math and sciences and, um, during high school, we, instead of uh, playing like everyone else, we went to the inner city and were teaching um, children who look like me what it meant like to explore sciences and math and building mousetraps. And my dad actually started a program called SECME. So from a very early age, I was engaging in the community, but with geometry and math and trigonometry and all this other stuff. So that's been layered in my life. And then you have the um, backdrop with, uh, you know, I went through law school, but then I, my practice was really in the community. I was lobbying for education and how kids can get experiences um, that they didn't even know were there for them. And then from there, I went back and got my master's in fine arts in Boston. So it was just kind of this uh, compiled kind of space that I've been in. I kind of think I'm a lot like a rock where there's a lot of different layers and pressure um, from the universe. And then it's, you know, now kind of morphed into, into sculptures and installations and mural designs and exterior facades when really my first murals were really because I felt like um, there were certain communities that did not really feel welcome in museums. So how can we bring the same artwork out to the exterior so it can be a source of inspiration for anyone that would drive by? And um, so again, always, I think, starting from this authentic space of how do I connect with humanity? And then how do we then take those layers onto the next generation and figure out ways uh, and portals so that other people can then then be a cat. So I could be a catalyst of change for someone else. I can be that baton that I hand on to someone else that um, so you don't have to be an artist in order to think creatively. You don't have to be an artist in order to be innovative. You don't have to be an artist in order to um, be the best thinker. I think that um, thought, um, thinking and philosophers are something that is not as valued as it was thousands of years ago. And so I try to create spaces of, of thought 
where we can delve deeper. That's why I love to hear that you're going down a rabbit hole. I wanted to jump down that hole with you. And that's what I want to bring kids to jump down that hole to explore different spaces. And um, I think that the focus of the language has always been um, mathematical and geometric and design, but it also holds sim- symbols and ethnography and connections to space and divine intervention and paths that kind of preserve our our, our destinies as individuals and as communities. And I think that, you know, life always boils down to these moments and intersections and spaces where you make choices that have repercussions. So it it goes um, deeply philosophical. If you're willing for it to take you there, you can go down these philosophical journeys and, um, it's exciting. Absolutely. I mean, you, that's, I mean, everything you said is just so powerful, but what I really love is how you are helping to create these welcoming spaces because a lot of times there's, you know, there's times where there's been gatekeepers, you know, and, and it, and it, at times it doesn't feel like you're welcome. You know, it, it doesn't feel like, like this mode of art is art or things like that. And so it's, to hear an artist who has been on both sides, you know, in the corporate world as and the the creative space of art, to say like, yo, everybody is welcome at this table, and everybody has a, a should have a sense of belonging, regardless. It's just so beautiful to hear, and and I wanna I wanna bring the conversation over to you, Vanessa, because I mean, lack of a better term, you are arguably one of the gatekeepers, but you have opened it up to to more people. So when you hear one of your artists, you know, just just having like speaking so uh, like you know beautifully about like having this space for all how does that how does that hit you it aligns right with our values our core values we want to be inclusive we want we you know contemporary art spaces just have this you know it's intimidating you know you're you're walking down the street you see this gallery you walk in you don't get that piece of art you kind of just feel like you don't belong you don't want to touch anything you don't want to break anything I mean, that's the opposite of what Ogden Contemporary Arts is all about. We want the random kids just walking home from school or just, you know, skateboarding down the block or, or whatever to, to feel welcome, to come in and be like, what is this? And, and we want to, you know, be that bridge to contemporary art and how to get inspired and you know, art uplifts communities. And this is one of the reasons why we chose Ya. I mean, her engagement with the community and and I mean, her her personality is just delightful. And I'm really excited for Utah in general to be able to experience that. I mean, just the few conversations that I had with Yah, I mean, every time I, I like I could be having a bad day and then I get off the phone with Yah and it's like, everything's just gravy, baby. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really great. But, but yeah, I mean, this is really important to us. And it goes back to what I was saying before. Like, we don't want artists to come in and, and not, like, you know, be part of our community. It's important. We want everyone to feel welcome. We want to provide education. We want to provide, you know, a love for arts for everyone. I, it's, it's so important. And I think you, you touched on something really that we've, we've been, we've been coming into like the last, what, two and a half years we've been in this pandemic and it's, and what a, what a relief to have art. You know what? Because it, it does. It, it hits you. And I and I think you touched on it because it's like it, it's it's if you don't understand it, that's fine. Like that. That's OK. You know, because it's going to hit everybody differently. They're, you know, while 
while the artist might have, and, and forgive me, I'm just speaking liberally, you know, but like the artist has an idea when they're creating, I would assume, you know, but how, but what it, what it hits each person is up to the person and how, how they're feeling it. And so, so by you both providing this opening and welcoming space, I, I just, I'm just looking forward to see what Ogden will, how Ogden, I should say, is going to benefit from this in the next, you know, the next month, the next months, the next years, because it, it's a space, it's a space that hasn't always been as welcoming as it feels like we're moving into that world tomorrow, you know? So, so what do you got planned? We're talking about the summer. We kind of, you know, we're kind of giving little, little tweaks of insight, but what's going on for the summer? What do we got? So this residency is um, really meaningful because I've never been to Ogden. And I think the more that I put it out there is the more that I find so many people are connected with Utah. Everyone's been there. Everyone thinks it's the most beautiful. Everyone keeps on telling me all these different connections that they have to that space. So I think that it is um, going to be a meaningful journey in my path. I think um, also, um, you know, I adore thinking about the dark skies and our connection to the astrology of the universe. And I think that I'm going to really take a strong and deeper dive into that direction. Um, just to give you a little bit of a um, peek, a sneak peek. And I think the inspiration of the massiveness of our planetary growth and the experimentation that, you know, OCA encourages will be exciting to share. And um, I think also for the show, um, we're going to transform it into this uh, multimedia show that will utilize this interactive installation, um, paintings, sculptures. You can look for videos and uh, music. I think that will work um, with linear and cyclical geometry patterns and um, figure out how to um, lay in the human pattern into these labyrinths. And I'm very, very excited to really explore the metaphysics of, of time and space there, because I think you are, uh, when you have those dark skies, you guys are on a whole nother level. So I'm going to be able to kind of go there. And I've been talking about our connections to the stars for a very long time. So I'm really excited to start to explore that, the light, the sound, the space, and how we're interwoven in that way. So, um, and then I think the most important part that I say for last is figuring out ways how we incorporate the kids and, um, you know, the openness and the ability to be able to do that. I have to applaud um, the, you know, everyone included here is, is just so exciting. I think the excitement that you guys have brought me into, um, is infectious and I can't wait. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited about getting, you know, Ogden Contemporary Arts, we talk about providing, you know, diverse programming, right? Being inclusive for everyone. Um, we've only been open for just a little over a year now like doors actually open into our art center. And, you know, we've had work, we've had, you know, uh, Lauren Lee McCarthy um, and like her focus was AI and how AI interacts with society. And then we had, um, you know, contemporary dance. We've had uh, Vida Morte Justicia, you know, off of, um, you know, social justice, that sort of thing. But I feel like the one area we haven't hit yet is the youth right and 
you know, we're, we're the King's Mouth with Wayne Coyne. That's a completely different audience, right? I want to be an art center for everyone. And right now, the area where we need to fill in is youth because we're not there yet. And I think that, yeah, coming to Ogden and be, being willing to work with, you know, our community partners like uh, Youth Impact, we're going to get their, their program involved. It's going to be so important and meaningful, and I'm just really excited. Plus, I'm excited to meet Yaa's entire family. She's This is one thing we haven't mentioned yet, but it's important for artists and residence programs to be fr- family-friendly, um, and I think that's one area where Ogden Contemporary Arts program is shining right now, and why we could get, could get such a fabulous artist like Yaa to come to Ogden and be part of our program is because we are family friendly. So I'm excited to to meet her fam. Awesome. I love it. And I, I'm excited to bring so bring my kids up there. Cause it's so what's what's the timeline? When it, when does it start? When does it run till? Yeah. So yeah, it's coming in uh the second week of April. We're still working on the the final details there. And um they'll be you guys will be here until mid-June. Yeah. And they're actually, you still plan on bringing in your Airstream? <laughs> I am. I am. We're going to have fun. Yes. We're going to yeah. be able to really explore the boundaries of the state and um, the space and, and really absorb the outdoor. And I do want to piggyback off of what you were saying, Vanessa, but <clears throat> working with you, you're such an innovator and um, you are amazing yourself and what you've been doing. And one of the things that were important to me was what you had done before. And I think the ability to allow artists to take risks in that space and the talent that you have brought, the seriousness of the artwork and the artists that you've chosen has been commendable. And it's exciting to be a part of that on that roll call. So um, I am just deeply humbled and honored to just be a part of that. Oh, thank you so much. That yeah, means a lot. I, I love it. Yeah, well, I, I think that's it's it's really important what you just said, y'all, because while as an artist, it's so exciting to be asked to come, you know, hey, we would love to have you present. But you're also vetting, you know, it's also to make sure that your interests are being met and your needs are being met. So that's it. This sounds like a perfect relationship. I'm excited to see what y'all bring. You know, you get so much that you want to ask, because I I definitely always want to know, especially with a residency. That's that's the thing that's always intriguing. I want to know, like, how's the thought process go in? Because it's got to be totally different than like, oh, I'm just working on this one piece as opposed to I'm working on this, you know, these pieces that are are creating an experience, if you will. So what's, I think, the best part about this residency and residencies in general is it really gives you a chance to detach from your space where you almost become kind of just churning things out. You become kind of mechanic to your work as opposed to embodying your space to what is happening, slowing it down. Um, and I think it breeds um, innovation and a space where you can create different and groundbreaking spaces in your practice. So I'm really excited because I think that the dark skies are really going to do something else for me. Um, and I've kind of been everywhere in the world and in the country. So it's really odd that I haven't been somewhere. So I'm just excited about that. It was meant to be. This was meant yeah, to be. Yeah. I, I, yeah, there's something there's a there's a, str- a thread that I've noticed through through my findings as I as I went down the rabbit hole. Uh, so you've said you're uh, first and foremost a transporter. 
Yes. So what, you know, and that's something that you've talked about. And you, I feel like you've given us a little taste of it. But what does that really, when it comes to your art and, and how you present it to the world, what does that look like? So I think when you think about transporting, so I think it's through time and space, right? And really when most of the artwork that I'm trying to do is immersive, right? So I want you to walk into a space and think about it absorb and then how do you leave that space different and I think sometimes it's reframing and shifting your brain space and that's why I love working with youth on top of having a three and a four-year-old boy I'm a boy mama and um, that's one thing that I loved that Vanessa was so open and 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 receptive to because I think sometimes in the art world um whether it, it, there's almost this um, omen that you are supposed to just focus on the artwork. And I think there's something very different that happens to your creations when you become this parent and this space where you connect with another human, be- human being that you want to be impacted by whatever it is you're doing, right? And how are they going to be better than you? How can you give them everything that they need in order to be a humanitarian that's going to make the world a better place to live in, right? And so the minute that we spoke, we got to connect on that level. And I think that that follows through to, you know, when you're creating these immersive spaces, how do you change everyone? And I think my kids being so young, three and four years old, there's this shift, right? Where it went from me focusing on everyone else to me now involving everyone else to my family and then it going, building an extension outward, which has been an amazing um, experience, but also um, uh, very provocative at the same time, right? And um, I'm so excited to be able to be presented a space where I can push the boundaries of what that experience is that you can come into that space and realize something else. I think um, a lot of my work really stems back from the abstract expressionists, right? Many people don't know that abstract expressionism is really an American language. It's our art, right? There's other places all over the, the world that have different spaces of time with art, but ours really is abstract expressionism. So when you're looking at the Pollocks or you're looking at the Rothkos, right? Or you're looking at the 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 Mark Bradford's of today, right? Which is one of my mentors um, and how you express an emotion and a time through artwork and paint as materiality. And how do you bring someone into a space and create this different dimension that you go in and without anything else to alter your mind, you actually are using your eyes and your heart and your body and your soul and connecting with that space and going somewhere else. And that's what I hope to be doing at least. <laughs> I, I love all. Uh, uh, yeah. That I, that's resonating. And I'm sure like, I'm sure that's resonating with a lot of listeners. So, so y'all, where can everybody find you? What's the socials? What's the websites? Oh man, all across the board. I'm Yala Ford. So Y-A-L-A-F-O-R-D. So they can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I'm a little older. I'm old school. So I'm not on anything else really except LinkedIn. Um, uh, all the other things, are, I just can't keep up. <laughs> all y'all young folks, I, that's the best right I can there. do for you. <laughs> you think about language. And Vanessa, where can everyone find, find you in, in the OCA? 
Yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we recently just launched a Twitter or a TikTok account, which is pretty exciting <laughs> for those young folks. I'm also <laughs> old. And of course, our website, OgdenContemporaryArts.org. Nice. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you guys, you both spending time. I appreciate you coming in and hanging out with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate this. This was wonderful. This was amazing. Thank you both, Vanessa. Can't wait to work with you. And I got to tell you, you got to come visit us with your baby, babies, whichever. Oh, uh, little, little ones. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm a, uh, we have, we have two boys. Yeah. Eight and 11. I don't know if I said that. So that's, that's so exciting. That's so exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see everything that you, you both present and bring, bring to Utah. It sounds like it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm going to have to because I I get out to Ogden quite a quite a lot, you know, and I I mean, I I don't want to say I prefer Ogden Twilight over our Twilight. But but the last little bit, the last, I'd say, three years, y'all just been hitting it hard up there. I'm like, oh, Ogden, y'all doing it right. Like, so it's been it's been nice. It's been nice. I have a. Yeah, it's I think this year, this Ogden Twilight is going to be really good as well. So just throw that out there. I don't know any of the specifics yet, but I do know the folks behind the scenes there and it's sounding promising. <laughs> that's so exciting. And and that's our show, folks. I hope you found something during the show to give you hope to get off the couch, get off the phones, get into the community. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready to go back into undergrad and just uh, start taking some art classes. I'm inspired. <laughs> like uh, by the, about to ask my wife where the paintbrushes are. But un until we meet again, I want to say thank you for joining us for another uh, Roundtable Tuesday edition of Radioactive on KRCL. Stay strong. Keep keeping on. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is Listeners Community Radio of Utah. Take care, everybody. Curly Me is a resource for families with children of color, specifically black girls between the ages of 5 and 14 years. Visit curlyme.org for events and mentoring opportunities to help educate, empower, and encourage girls to be their best selves. Meet Barbie Garcia, host of Vagabond Radio, Tuesday nights at 8 on KRCL. Yeah, I have music everywhere. I have here on my computer. I have some vinyls. I, ha I still have some CDs, obviously. So <laughs> it's kind of putting together a musical puzzle. Some of the stuff that the, the listeners might be familiar with is like LCD sound system and the chromatics. And in between are all of these amazing French, you know, artists, electronic bands out of Berlin, uh, Spain. And I just kind of throw in all the stuff that I've been listening to personally, which is obviously what all of us DJs do on KRCL. It's music that, that we listen to and that we love. And then we have the platform of the radio to share it with everyone else. It's therapy. It's pure therapy. Community radio for me is a way to connect. Um, it's, giving, it's giving me the platform that I never thought I would have. Barbie Garcia of Vagabond Radio, every Tuesday night at 8, only on KRCL 90.9.